It was a beautiful May Saturday morning. I'd been working with one of my sons, young, only four years old, maybe five at the time, getting ready for his first t-ball game. I had practiced with this kid on catching, on, on hitting off the tee for a long time. He was hitting the tee right in the middle. And I no, you got to get a, you know, hit that ball. And, and finally, we, we had worked on catching, we would worked on throwing, we would worked on hitting. Um, I thought we were ready. I thought we were ready for the opening day. We get to the field, and, and we're all excited. The kid's all excited. He gets up to bat. I think he might even been the leadoff hitter for the game. He gets up, his very first at bat, he's... You know, just a little tyke out there. He, he, he rears back with the bat and he just crushes the ball. Crushes it into the outfield. And straight away runs as fast as he can right to third base. I promised Zachary I wouldn't tell which kid, so I'm not. That's it's a secret. If you're going to play the game, one of the first things you have to know or the rules of the game, don't you? You know, you, there's so many things, though, to learn when you're little and, and you're trying to, to get this game of baseball in your head. And, and, and they try, try and try and go to third base. Well, everybody laughed and we had a great time. It was, it was excusable. It, I mean, it's a little boy and, and, and it was a good time. And the, and the parents realized that, that sometimes we take these things just a little too seriously. But what's excusable with children didn't become so excusable with adults. You know, uh, there are adults who get paid lots of money to, to play children's games, usually on a Sunday afternoon or what. And, and, and one of those, uh, those teams that are so, sort of famous, the Green Bay Packers, the Super Bowl trophy is called the Lombardi Trophy after its, its coach, uh, Vince Lombardi. And I guess the story is, is that one time the Packers were getting beat just miserably by the Vikings. First half they had been just completely trounced and... And, uh, and Lombardi was sort of famous for his, um, his halftime speeches that were laced with all sorts of colorful words. And, um, and uh, everybody knew that one was coming. And so all the players are kind of in the locker room at halftime and they know what they're about to get. And Lombardi comes in and he holds out the ball. And he says, gentlemen, <laughs> this is a football. <laughs> you know, the very first thing you need to know about the game is this is a football. Because apparently you know nothing else about it. And he went on his tirade and, and gave him what for about it. You know, if you're going to master a game, the first thing you need to do is understand it. I mean, there are other things that are involved, right? You have to be determined. You, you, have, to, you have to practice. It's like the old uh, adage, you know how to get to Carnegie Hall? <laughs> you practice, right? You practice, you work hard. And, and in there you need to have some skill as well. But skill is not nearly as important as understanding and determination and practice. And you know what I found out is that you can learn a lot just by watching others. I'm an amazing quarterback. I mean, I am, usually from my recliner in my living room. Why did he throw that pass, you know? Maybe you're like that too. Maybe you're, maybe you're an excellent politician. You'd be a great president because you sit in the chair and you're like, why did they make that decision? You know, we're really good, aren't we? In, in the comforts of our own home. But we can learn a lot from watching others. In the gospel, Jesus is being watched. Did you catch that, the very first verse? He was invited to a dinner, and they were carefully watching him. Imagine that. He, he comes into this dinner, at this home of these Pharisees, and, and everyone's got their eye on him. Now you should know something about the Pharisees. Um, the Pharisees were, uh, the word itself 
probably means, it's difficult to tell what it means, but it probably means something like pious ones. It comes from a group of people who were, who were dedicated religious uh, conservatives. They were, they were good people. They were Sunday school teacher type people. They, they were in synagogue every Sabbath. They were always uh, busy about the scriptures. They, they believed that the, the word of God was inspired. And, and at their time, of course, it was just what we would call the Hebrew scriptures or the Old Testament. But they believed that, that the five books of the Torah... Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, as well as the whole books of the prophets, which included the former prophets, the one and two kings, one and two Samuel, as well as the, the books of the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, the book of the twelve, so on. They believed that all of these books were inspired scripture. I say that because I want you to know that sometimes I think the Pharisees kind of get a bad rap in our discussion. Sometimes we read the, the scriptures and we're like, oh, there are those guys, the Pharisees, you know, they're like, you know, they're like the villains on Batman and Robin or something. But they're not. They're not that at all. They are religious, righteous, you know, conscientious people. They want to do well. They, they work hard at the business of religion. So Jesus, this upstart teacher, is invited to one of their homes for a meal. And they are watching him closely. Is this the kind of guy who can be trusted? Is he a good teacher? Is he a righteous teacher? But then the tables are turned. Because Jesus begins watching them. Verse 7, now he told them a parable when those were invited. When he noticed how they chose the places of honor. They're watching Jesus, but he's watching them as well. You know, he, he's, he's paying careful attention to the way that they maneuver themselves around the dinner table trying to get the places of honor closest to the host. You should know something about ancient Near Eastern culture. In being invited to a dinner or to be invited to a, 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 a home was, was quite an honor. The more honorable the person, the more they kind of gave to you their honor. It was sort of like a commodity, you know, that, that, um, that they could transfer some honor and some, some uh, respect to you just by being invited. And that's the same as it's true today, isn't it? If I told you, for instance, that I'd been invited to the home of a senator, you might say, oh, you have? Which senator? Um, you know, you, you, might, uh, you, you might think that that was, that was a pretty good thing. I was invited to the palace to visit the queen. Oh, really? You were invited? You, in the same way, the higher that you were up the social ladder, the more that you wanted to be invited to these places. And the more that you sort of jockeyed for a position to be close to the host so that you could kind of sort of draw from him all of that sort of prestige and dignity. And Jesus watches these people and he sees how they are trying to, to maneuver themselves at the table to get closer and closer to the host. And once that host kind of gave to you his honor and it would always be his, he would then, you would in turn invite that host to your home. And then you would have this honor-sharing system, this sort of reciprocity of honor, back and forth. You invite him, he invites you. It's not about the meal. It's about the, the sort of social collateral that you gain by going to these places. And the most important thing was to climb the social ladder because these were all religious people. It was like climbing up the, the church hierarchy. You became not only more honorable in the culture, you also became more religious, more uh, valuable as a holy person in your community. 
Jesus is watching these people do this around the dinner table. And he says to them, in effect, you're running to third base. You're going exactly the opposite direction. This is not at all what righteousness is about. It's not about, about this kind of culture of reciprocity where I pat your back and you pat mine and we lift each other up. And, and the higher we are, we kind of push other people down. In fact, Jesus says, why don't you go the opposite direction? Why don't you choose the low seats? Why don't you seek to humble yourself instead of lifting yourself up? In fact, exalting yourself, making yourself godlike is all the wrong way to go. Instead, lower yourself. Humble yourself. Do you know the word humble? It comes from the Latin word humus. That's the earth. Bring yourself down to earth and guess what will happen? God will exalt you. Because humility is not about the business of self-promotion. Humility is about the business of bringing yourself down, of of recognizing your place as as an equal among among all the people of the earth. It's a refusal to expect entitlements. I don't, I don't deserve anything. One of the things that's most disturbing to me about our culture in the West is the whole idea of entitlements. There's no sense of, of hard work or, or of determination, of, of having sort of a responsibility to, to, you know, make a way through life, to work hard at, at, at producing. Instead, it's a whole an idea of, of I deserve. I should get. I have rights. And, and I, don't, I don't mean that people don't have rights. Of course they have rights. Of course we wouldn't want to, um, to, to humiliate people or to, to force them to, be, um, to, to live in, in, in degradation. Or what. But we want to lift people up. But we also want them to lift themselves up, to work hard. Humility is the, is the, is the attitude where we, we trust in God. We, we say we are part of the earth. Jesus tells this parable, don't seek the highest seats, seek the lowest ones. But then he tells a second one, and it seems to be disconnected to the first because this one's all about generosity. It's about having two sorts of choices in life. You can choose to get or you can choose to give. Don't throw a party and invite all your rich friends, Jesus says, because you know they'll just repay you and give it back. Don't don't invite a party and just invite your friends or your neighbors. Now you're thinking to yourself, I want to have a party. I'm wondering if I can invite my neighbors. Yes, you can. It's not about the party, okay? It's about the whole culture of reciprocity. It's about the giving only to get. And if we give only to get, that's not true generosity. Generosity is when we give without seeking a reward. It's when we give out of compassion, not out of selfishness. And it's about when we give... When we do it because we want to show kindness and and genuine kindness. Jesus says there are two ways to live. The way that he looks around and sees all these religious people living. Where they, they want to honor one another and climb a social ladder. And they want to give only to get. And he says, you know what? That way, that way is running to third base. There's another way to live. A way of living where we, where we seek humility and allow God to lift us up. Where we give generously, not expecting to get anything in return. And I'll tell you, if we decided, if we in the 21st century decided to live this way, it would be going against the grain just as much today as it was in Jesus' day. People would look at us and think, kind of crazy. Who doesn't get involved in self-promotion? 
Who's not trying to climb their way to the top? Who, I mean, who, who does that? Well, I'll tell you who does that, according to Jesus. The people who trust in God. And my grandmother died about two years ago. And um, I, I was part of the uh, funeral arrangement um, uh, group that gathered together and I've done this with many of my parishioners because I, I, this is a very difficult time and a difficult time to make decisions but this time I had to do it with my family and I gathered there with the, the uh, funeral director and they, they take you into a room and they, they, um, they show you uh, sort of caskets that they have and, and vaults that they have and all these sorts of things and it's amazing the range of prices that they show you I mean, and, and do you know that the first one that they show you is like this solid mahogany casket with, um, you know, silk lining and, and all these things. And, and as I looked at this and I, I, I said to the director, I said, well, this is kind of a pricey, uh, you know, coffin here, isn't it? And he says to me, he said, yes, it is. You know, um, he said, I guess it's true that you really can take it with you if you want to. And uh, I didn't think it was funny at all, but he did. And, um, you know, there's this whole sense of, of, you know, you could even on your very last day, Spend it on yourself. And it occurred to me that, you know, there's, there's all kinds of choices that we make. From the very first choices to the very last choices in life. About which way we're going to live. Jesus says the end game happens after this life. That the way that we choose to live now will matter in the future. That's what he says, doesn't he? Those who seek humility... They'll be honored by God. Those who seek generosity, they'll be honored on the day of resurrection. I guess, I guess the whole thing that Jesus is saying to a group of religious people is how will you live? How will you live? Will you allow yourself to live a humble life and allow God to lift you up? Will you live a life of generosity, allow God to repay you? Will you seek it all for yourself? You know, I, I think... If we choose the way Christ, it may seem to others like we're running to third base. But then again, the way of Christ never does seem to be the way of the world, does it? And each of us has a choice to make. We have to decide how we're going to live in this life. And then God will decide how we're going to live in the next. Amen.